0: So every Wednesday evening, from 5.30 to 6.30 right here, there's a group of us that gather, and we gather to actually just pray. And we pray for you. We pray for this community of faith. We pray for this city. We pray for this nation. And as we pray, what we ask is that in fact, what we do is we circle the issues, and we ask God to let his formation take place within that issue. We do what Jesus said, which is to take that which is in heaven and bring it down here on earth, because we believe that prayer is the instrument that God has given us to usher in his will, his love, and his justice, and so if you've not been part of that yet, we invite you to come and join with us, and we're, again, we're here from 530 to 630, and so last Wednesday, I was seated right here, and we we're praying right around through here. And, and at the end of the gathering around 630, I, I said to the group, now I'd like you to pray for me. And they looked at me like, well, what's wrong? I said, well, I've been, I've been sitting here while I'm praying, trying to figure out why, why my wife Pam hasn't joined me, and, and she was supposed to be here, and, and, I, and, and I can't figure out whatever, what, the, what any good reason would be that she can't really be here with me. She should be here. And, and she's not here, and so now it just dawned on me that I was supposed to pick her up at five o'clock and bring her here. So please pray for me. That cost me some groveling and dinner out. You know, one of the toughest moments in our own personal lives as we are thinking about what our vision for life is, what our, what our dream is for us to become. And as followers of Jesus, we, we, we make that a God dream because we want to do what God wants to do. One of the toughest moments is when we, we see that, and then it begins to, to become clear to us that the opportunities and the resources we expected to show up and get us there have not yet arrived. And we're beginning to begin to, to discuss inside of ourselves that there is this thought that that my destiny, that appointment for destiny is being missed and that I should be so much closer to that thing that I had envisioned. That thing that began perhaps as an idea and and it grew into, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Or or you saw something that needed to be done and you say, well, that's a concern. And then it grew into a a passion and then it becomes a moral imperative. And you say to yourself, I I should do that. I should do that. And then finally you get to the place you say, I'm going to do that. And then you say, let's go. But then it seems like there's no action. It doesn't move ahead. Suddenly there's no money to finish your degree. Uh, That sickness has derailed you. You you, you find that you're so busy at work you don't have time to work on the idea for a new business and you know it's really what you should do, but you're just not finding the time. You discover that you have an unexpected pregnancy and everything just now has to center around that, and and you have to push aside those plans. Or as you share your idea, nobody else seems to be as excited about it as you are, and you find no encouragement. That is the most dangerous place for your God idea, because that is where God ideas die. It's like being in the starting blocks, and you're waiting for the gun to go off, and there is no shot Nothing happens, and there you are in this waiting position, and as you wait, you begin to lose your energy. You begin to be drained of your passion, and you become discouraged. So what do we do while we're waiting? Well, we do what Nehemiah did. 600 years before Jesus stepped foot into Jerusalem, King Nebuchadnezzar stepped into Jerusalem. He invaded He took captive 10,000 of the best and the brightest officials, soldiers, artisans, craftsmen, priests. And if they were the heads of the homes, then he actually took 30,000 people at least. He took out of that city the core of the quality and pulled it out and took it to the capital city of Susa. And then, in that process of those three waves of exiles leaving, and and that first wave included people you perhaps read about in the scriptures, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. He took them. He destroyed the temple. He destroyed the palace. He tore down the walls. He devastated the countryside. And in that third wave, there was a man, a young man named Nehemiah. And these are his words. The memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Achaia, it was the month of the Kislev in the 12th year. At the time, I was in the palace complex at Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, had just arrived from Judah with some fellow Jews, and I asked them about the conditions among the Jews there who had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They told me, the exile survivors who are left there in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still rubble. The city gates are still cinders. And when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. And I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. See, Nehemiah knows something must be done. But he's in the wrong place with the wrong job and the wrong boss. He has no conceivable way to change what is happening in Jerusalem, yet he has this concern, that, and even perhaps a calling, a passion that says, but you're supposed to do something, but there is no way to enact that vision. And this morning, if you feel that at one time you had a passion, that you were to do something, and it has stalled, then I want to encourage you this morning to do exactly what he did. As simple as it may seem, it is so, so, so distinctly profound. And it's this, he prayed. And and this prayer is, is not just, just a prayer thing on your list of things to do. You got up this morning and you and you showered, and then you perhaps had your scrambled eggs and your bacon. You went back in, you brushed your teeth, and you said, Oh, and by by, by the way, about my vision, please do this. And then you came here, and then later on you're gonna go down to the beach, and then you're gonna you're going play with the kids, and then you're gonna make dinner, and you're gonna get them tucked in, and then you're gonna watch a little TV, maybe watch late night, and then and then and then as you go back and brush your teeth, you, you think, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And And and, and for the vision, please let this happen. No, no, no. This kind of prayer, this kind of prayer is not on your list. It is your atmosphere. It embraces the totality of you and your vision. It is not something that is on the back burner. Your prayer is the burner because you're cooking a vision. Because here's what prayer does. Prayer clarifies who we are and we've got to know who we are before we can get to the vision. Often who we pretend to be gets in the way of who God is. Because if this is really a God idea, it's pretty big. And therefore, we have got to connect. We we have got to plug into all that he is. A God dream will take God abilities and God authority. So Nehemiah prays, and here's what he says. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. And I want to just pause there. Jesus, when he was teaching, said, you get really bold with me. Come on, get with it. So when, I, when you pray, it's God, listen, listen, you've got to listen because you said you're going to listen, so you've got to Listen. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. And I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. So please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Please hear me. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me and put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer, his confidant, his food tester, the one who gave him counsel. So watch this prayer. This prayer. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, four months. Four months he prays. And here's what he does. He starts out with this. This is who you are. I just think it's great when you start your prayer saying, God, do you know who you are? This is who you are. And so he starts. He says, you are just so massive and so awesome. That that the universe, the entire universe with all the millions and millions and millions of stars, they are just right in your hand. It's right there. You are so massive. You are so incredible that if we could tune to it, the trees are clapping their hands. The rocks, if we could hear them, will be crying out. The stars are actually singing. You are so massive that your massiveness goes beyond the three dimensions that we can recognize as human beings into the, to the greatest dimensions there can be. In fact, you are so massive that, that you are beyond time and space, that, that right in front of you presently you see everything, all time. You see Adam and Eve being created. You see David and Goliath. You see the Lincoln address. You see the election coming up. You see my grandkids' grandkids. You see it all right now. You are that massive, and yet I am such a mess up, and you have made it so that I stay connected to you forever, and what is amazing about that is that you chose it. You decided it would be that way. In fact, it is so amazing that there is no vanishing point to it, and for that I am amazed, for at the same time... Because of how massive you are, I want to hug the floor in my fear of you. And at the same time, I want to dance on the ceiling because I want to celebrate who you are. That's called worship. And that's how he began. Do you know who you are? And then he moves to this. I want to tell you who I am. I am a mess up. My selfishness. My ego ego driven ideas, my rebellion, they're all wrong. That's called confession. This is who I am. And then he moves to this. But this is what you promised. You promised that if I mess up, you will call me back and your power, your power will rescue me and everyone around me and the world will see who you truly are. I believe that. That's called faith. So as we pray, we say, this is who you are. This is who I am. And this is what you promised. And by faith, I believe you. So I had this great job. I loved this job. It was the best job I'd ever had up to that point. I loved the staff I worked with. I loved my boss. And then they brought in a new boss, and I didn't fit. It was not a good fit. And I could tell it just just wasn't going to happen. And it really wasn't his fault, the new guy. It wasn't his fault it wasn't a fit because really... The vision that had been was what I fit into so well. And now that vision was changing. It was, it was a different deal. I, I can remember walking out of a meeting and one of the guys I worked with said, well, things are going to change now. And and I knew that I wasn't fitting, but yet I still knew what had been in the past, and I wanted to hang on to that because that was the vision I fit in so well. But I, well, I had this understanding that God was, was now saying to me, there's a new vision, and it's going to be a new vision for you and Pam, and you're going to fit into something much larger because understand that your God dream, your your thoughts about what you need in life is not isolated. It's always connected to a much broader plan that God has because his plan is so much bigger than you. And I felt like God was saying, so things are going to change. But I didn't want them to change because I liked the old vision. You know what God does, what God does with old visions? I, I had this shirt that I loved how it fit, and it was my favorite shirt. And I had it for years. And I would wear that thing, and it just, yes, fits good. This is so good. And I look good. And one day, I was actually in, in, in our master bathroom, and, and I was, was checking out how good I looked. And Pam walked in, and, and I know she saw how good I looked. And she approached me as if she's going to just lay this big kiss on me, which I would understand because I looked really good. And she reaches over to my shirt like this, and I think, oh, this is going to be good. She's even grabbing my shirt. She could pull me to her. And all of a sudden, she didn't, she didn't lean in for a kiss. She took her hands on my shirt and went like this. And everything went slow motion. I watched the buttons on my shirt go in slow motion as they popped off. And now it's just off. And, I'm, and I go, what are you doing? And she smiled. And she said, I never have liked that shirt. There are those moments that we fit so good in what was, and God says, it's time for me to rip this off you because I got something so much better. So we knew that something was going. We knew something was stirring, so we began to pray. But it was still a half-hearted prayer because I still wanted the old thing. I wanted the old vision. I wanted the old way. It had been the best thing that I had had up to that point. In fact, we began to settle back into what I thought would be the best, which is the old vision and maybe something's not going to have to change. And one day, my boss called me into his office and he said, hey, I just had a meeting with and he named him and he said, they they told me some things they didn't like about me and they said that you agreed with them. I'm not that stupid. I said, no, I didn't say that. He said, well, they said that you said I could understand how you would feel that way. I said, well, I did say that, but then I told them to come see you. He said... He said, "Jack, I, I really sense that you don't feel like you fit here, and I kind of agree with that. So you need to leave." I said, "Are you giving me a timeline?" He said, "Not if you hurry up and find a place." So I went home I said, "Pam, I just got fired. I recognize now that God just ripped my shirt off." So now we really began to pray. So we began to worship. And, and in that worship, the amazing thing happened because I felt at that moment without a vision. I felt without a foundation. I felt I felt just just, I felt honestly, I felt like a little boy lost in the woods and didn't know where to go. And while we're worshiping, a friend of mine walks up and he says, I think I have a word for you from God. And when anybody says that, I listen to it, then I weigh it to make sure it's true. Because I've had people tell me other things like, give me your money, and that's not God. (laughs) But he said this. God says, you feel like a little boy lost in the woods, and you can't find your way. And he's saying to you, you are exactly where he wants you. Now trust him. We continue to pray. And we cut to that point of confession, because I was with with another friend, and and we were praying. And and we weren't budging. I wasn't finding a place for us to go, and we'd go interview, and people didn't want us, or we didn't want the thing. And it just... In fact, we went to one place and said, oh, God, please, I know I've been a bad man, but don't send me there. I don't want to go there. Because it didn't match the vision that I had. and, And this guy, he was praying, he said, hey, can I ask you a question? I just really sense that God is saying that maybe you have criticized your boss to other people. I said, no, no, I'm smarter than that. He said, no, think about it. I said, well, sometimes in humor, I would say things and make people laugh, but it probably was derogatory towards him. He said, I think God's saying you better go take care of that or you're not going anywhere. So I went, I went to my office and I wrote down every single person I had done that with and there were 12 of them. So I called each one individually. And I confessed, and I said, here's what I did, and I shouldn't have done it. It was humor, and you probably never noticed. And all 12 each said to me, yeah, we noticed. I said, will you forgive me? I shouldn't have done that. God, forgive me. Immediately, movement began towards what would become the vision. And so then as we continued to pray, we got to this spot where we began to, to have a clarity that God had a plan for us. And, and while we're praying, somebody recommended to us, and it was, the, it was really wisdom from God. That's what I love about community of faith. When they speak into your lives, they tell you things that you're going to miss and help you help you see things that, that you didn't see before. And they said, have you written down what you believe you should be doing, what God would have for you? And so we, we got a piece of paper and we began writing down. Wherever we go, whatever we're going to do, we want it to look like this. And we wrote down thing after thing after thing. And then we said, God, we, we think this is it. And so, so please, guide us where, where we need to go. And if you need to change any of this, do this. But by faith, we believe that you're going to give us these things. So, so we began to, to project what that vision would be. But the problem was this, that even in that, what I had done is I was letting go of the vision, but I was still taking the best parts of my former vision and putting them in the new vision because that's what I'm comfortable with. And that, that are the, those are the things that I feel that I, that I have uh, ability in and I feel very confident in. So I took those pieces and put them in this new vision. And so we, we were praying, God, show us, and, and I get this phone call from a guy representing three families in Boise, Idaho, who are going to start a church, and, and I'm saying, no way, no way will I start a church. I've been working at a church of 1,500. I know how that all functions, and I'm going to go to one like that, and that's, that's part of my plan, because this is how it works, and I'm really good with this, and even my personality said, don't go do a startup, because you're no good at it. So I'm taking that and putting that in my vision. And through prayer, we felt like God was beginning to say to us, you've got to let go of your fears and your insecurities. That's what Daniel prayed this morning. You've got to let go of that because God's got a fresh thing for you, and you just can't take the old stuff with you. You've got to let that thing go. You've got to disconnect from the old and only connect to Jesus because he's got a, he's got a whole big plan for you. I love this, this testimonial from this woman. This is really great. This is what she said this is actual. She said as the bus pulled away I realized I had left my purse under the seat. Later I called the company and was relieved that the driver had found my bag. And when I went to pick it up several off-duty bus drivers surrounded me and one hand one man handed me my pocketbook, two typewritten pages and a box containing the contents of my purse. We're required to inventory lost wallets and purses, he explained, and I think you'll find everything there. And as I started to put my belongings back into the pocketbook, the man continued, and I hope you don't mind if we watch. Even though we all tried, none of us could fit everything into your purse, and we'd like to see just how you do it. <laughs> no comment. When God begins to give you a fresh view of something that he's moving you toward, and you begin to try to take the old pieces of the vision past and put them in the front, he said, don't do that because I'm already packing into you everything you'll need. You'll be surprised what I've got inside of you, and I am putting the vision in you already. So we felt like God was saying to us, go talk to those people. And I was still struggling with it. And it, and even when we went to visit, we finally, I remember us just standing in, in our host's home and, and saying, you know, they've asked us to come here. And, and I still didn't want to believe that that was the vision because I just didn't feel so adequate still. And, and instead of just saying, yes, we're going to go there, I said to Pam, well, is there any reason why we shouldn't? And she said, no, there's no reason. We said, okay, we'll go do this. So we said yes. I flew back and forth between Oregon and Boise to help get things settled, and it was one of those trips on the way back. I sat next to this guy in the airplane, and he said, what are you doing in Boise? And I said, well, we're going to go start a church. And he said, oh. I said, what? He said, well, Boise has this history that all all churches that try to start here fail, and all their pastors have moral failures, I said, "Uh uh-huh, thank you. I said, God, what did I just do? I'm taking my three small kids and my wife to Boise, Idaho, with three families with no guarantee of income, and this? So I grabbed another friend, and we began to pray together, and I said, God. And this is the true story. I was praying, and I said, God... What what did I do? How how can this be? And I'm trying to get really down to the depths of this thing. And and you told me to let go of the past and move to the future, and I never expected this thing would be this way. And and me starting a church is just totally nonsense, and and i got to take my kids. And I said, and what about my family? And at that moment, the guy got off his knees praying, turned to me, and said, I think God's saying to you and about your family. And he began to tell me everything that I'd been concerned about. I said, okay, God, I got it. So we began to, to build this, this church, and I had no idea how to do that. But I was still having trouble getting my, my past vision out of the way, the way that I used to do it. So I tried everything I knew from my research in the past on how to start a church. We went door to door. We put ads in the paper. We went on radio, and it was just a slow process, nothing like we had envisioned it at all, not what we thought God was telling us. And so I just finally just let go of that stuff. And I tell you the truth, I started going in to, to my office because really I had not much to do because I had three families. And, and you can pretty well take care of three families pretty quick. So I would go in for a couple of hours during the morning and I would just start praying and I can still see this, this wall that I would lean up against and i put my head against it and I'd just say, God, you promised. You made a promise. And this is who you are. Do you know who you are? You are this. And this is who I am. I understand who I am, but these are your promises. This is what you said. And, and I got to the point that my catchphrase was always this, it has to be you. 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 And I finally let go of my control and said, it has to be you. And one morning, on a Sunday morning, I looked out, and there was this family sitting there and this guy that was a pretty good-sized guy, and, and I went up and introduced myself. And I said, he said, I'm Dave. And he, and he said, I'm coming to Boise State University. I've been recruited for, on, on the football team, and, and we're believers in Jesus, and so I'm gonna be, I think I'm going to be coming to your church. I said, oh, Dave, that's great. Well, in a couple of weeks, Dave showed up with some massive guys. He said, yeah, he's, he's a running back, and he's a quarterback. he said, hey, good to meet you. And, and soon, Dave was bringing the entire starting offensive backfield and receivers to church, which was so cool. And, and, then, and then Dave called and said, hey, I got a problem. I said, Dave, what's going on? He said, well, I got too many people. I can't get them all in my car or the other guy's car. Can you get me some cars? So yeah, we can do that, which was really cool because up to that point, I was asking anybody who was showing to drive all their cars to church so it looked like we had a lot of people. So yeah, we got cars. And and then just things began to shift and and it was just a a God thing and and people started showing up. There was a whole group of people who had been Satan worshipers who had been just studying together by themselves because there's this great underground movement of Satanic worship in Boise, Idaho. And these people were showing up and saying, saying, hey, we're here and we're gonna pray with you. And and you just don't know what it's like to pray with people who used to serve Satan and now they love Jesus and they know what spiritual warfare is like. And people were showing up and said, can you just teach me how to love God? I said, yeah, I can do that. And it was so cool. And then suddenly we backed up and said, that's what we envisioned. That was the deal. That's the vision God gave us. And then we remembered a year before that paper we had written down where we wanted to be and the people we wanted to touch and, and the things we wanted to do. We were seeing it. The stuff we'd written down by faith was happening but it took prayer. So prayer clarifies who we are and what we're to do by seeing who God is and what he can do. So how do we know what we should be doing? Well, let me tell you that prayer clarifies opportunities. It's not in your notes. I apologize. You people that are, are uh, perfectionists, forgive me. You can write it in your notes yourself. Prayer clarifies opportunities. So notice that Nehemiah prays for success for four months, for four months, four months he prays for success, and as he's praying for success, it begins to, to, to give him a pinpoint accuracy as to what success is, because I believe as you begin to form what you think is your vision, you may begin to think you know what success is, but the more time you spend with God, the more he narrows it down, and you go, oh yeah, 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 that's, that's what it is, and it's more, it, it, it's more precise than some ethereal, and oh God bless this thing. So when he's praying now, he prays this, because he knows this. He knows that the king has to buy into this thing, the very king that had already told the people back in Jerusalem, don't you dare build a wall. And so he prays, God, I'm going to ask you for the opportunity to invite the king to become part of this vision. Give me favor. If you hang out with me much, even if you have a meal with me, you'll notice that most of the time when I'm praying, I say, and God, give us favor, because I really believe that's so important. And so he prayed that prayer, give me favor. And it's interesting to me that Nehemiah never prayed for God to build the wall. Nehemiah prayed for opportunity to rebuild it himself. And that is the difference between a visionary and a dreamer. Andy Stanley defines it this way, dreamers dream about things being different. Visionaries envision themselves making a difference. Last week we talked about Ephesians 2:10. We are God's workmanship, we are his fabric, manufactured by Jesus, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, things that are significant and make an impact, which God has prepared in advance to do. He's packing it in you, the vision and the ability. God has prepared in advance for you to do. That to do actually means so that you will recognize the opportunity, you'll rush in, and you'll have the ability to fill the entirety of that opportunity with what God has placed within you. So often when we get going on these visions and dreams, we begin to pray for miracles. And what we're really saying is to God is, God, can you fix this? And when visionaries pray, they pray, God, Help me to be so sensitive to the opportunity that I will hear you say, hey, let's us fix this. It's what Isaiah experienced, Isaiah 6, where he meets God and he worships God and then he confesses before God and God cleanses him. And then while he's there worshiping, he hears God speaking to the Trinity and he says, whom shall we send and who will go? And Isaiah goes, oh, I hear that. I want to do that. That's what our prayer does for us. As we dig in, we hear God say, this is what I'm doing. We go, I want to be part of that. So we pray, and we look for the opportunities. And the opportunities will come. And the question is, are you ready for them? Nehemiah continues to describe, he said, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, his reign, I was serving the king his wine, and I never appeared sad in his presence, because you couldn't do that, because the king could say, hey, I don't like you, and, and kill you. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, because this is the king. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? <laughs> And with a prayer to God to heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And the king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? Will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Wow. When you wrap your life in prayer... Get ready for the opportunity to unfold. But understand that as it unfolds, it will unfold not only with prayer but with a partner. And that which is partnered with prayer is this, planning. It's tough to plan when you feel stuck. It's tough to envision when you say, I'm going nowhere. I'm, I'm muddled in this mess and I can't get free. But plainly let me say that if you're asking God for rain, then you better go buy an umbrella. Get ready for it. In fact, let me ask you some questions. Assuming that you had all the resources you need for your vision, what does it look like? Write it down. Begin to say, if I could do this thing, if this is going to happen, if this is God's idea, then this is what it looks like. Begin to shape it in your spirit and in your mind. If, if you had to say, okay, so here's what it looks like, and, and the people that I would need to accomplish this look like this, and they have these abilities, write it down. And the resources I need would be these resources. Write it down. Nehemiah spent four months praying and planning. We know he's planning because when the king said, can you come back? And he already had the plan out. In fact, here's what he did. Step one, I got to convince the king to allow me to leave my job and build a wall around the city that in the years past was a military threat. I got to get by that first. Step one. Step two, I have to have the king give me financial support because I got nothing. Step three, I got to procure letters from the king to the governors asking for my safe passage. Step four, I got to work out a deal with Asaph. He's the keeper of the king's forest, and I need lots of lumber. Step five, I got to ask the king to make me governor of Judah. I like that. That's bold. Step six, I got to organize and equip the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And step seven, I got to start building. The guy's got it already in place. And I think sometimes we miss our opportunities because we haven't planned for them. And sometimes we don't even see them when they show up. So, last January, after a time of fasting and confession, the leadership of this church began to say, God, what is the vision? And we began to ask him to reveal that to us. And we believe he began to show us the fresh vision, especially how it would affect this community. Then we said, well, if we've got a fresh vision, what's the plan? So we began to say, what is the infrastructure that supports the vision? You gotta have the right infrastructure. And what do the people look like who need to fit that infrastructure? And what are the resources that are needed so that we can achieve the vision? And we began making a plan for what we believe God is doing in this community. And I think that we were really tuning our ear to hear him say, who will go, who will I send, because this is what I want to do. You say, well, what is that? What, what, What are you talking about? The first institution created by God was the family. Check it out. Genesis 1, 2, family. In fact, he said... I want to put family in the garden. I want you to multiply. Make families, make more families. And then I want the garden to keep expanding out, and the very presence of God will overtake the earth, as you are the people that that will do that for me. And immediately, immediately, they were attacked by Satan, and this is why. If you read about Satan, you know that, that he had a high position in heaven. Some say that, that he actually was the worship leader. He was the most beautiful of creatures. He, was just, he had it all, but he had this burning passion that could not, could not rest in him, and the passion was this. He wanted to be like God, and it resulted in some, some ugly maneuvers on his part. He tried to usurp the throne, and God kicked him out, threw him out of heaven. And then God turns around, and he creates humanity, and he makes humanity in his own image. The very thing that Satan wanted, humanity got. You talk about jealousy. And then God says, you are my image bearers, and I want you to become image makers, and I want you to grow this thing out so that my image will go through the entire world. Destroy the family, and you can destroy the image. Build the family, and you can build his image throughout the world. We believe that God's calling us to focus our vision and, and, and our foundation will support this to move toward building strong families. It's what God's called us to do. And, and we will be beginning to announce this to the community and, and, and on the second, September, or second Sunday of September is our launch date to let them know we're ready for you. And at the same time as God has affirmed this our city itself is starting to put up advertisements that tell everybody that if you take your family to church once a week, for one hour, it will change their grade point average. It will change their, their, the way they think. They will, they will have less tendency towards depression and suicide, and they will achieve more. And you'll see, take me to worship. And so we're planning on that, and that, that's the direction we're going. You say, but does this planning and prayer thing really work? Yeah, several years ago, if you would have walked by a building at 201 F Street in northeast, uh, northeast in Washington D.C., which is just a block from Union Station, you'd have seen that place. It's a crack house. It's a historical building, but it's a crack house. Mark Batterson was walking by that, and God sparked in him a thought that became a God idea that, that, that began to put a passion in him. And, and he had this desire to turn that thing into a Christian coffee house, which is just a crazy idea because he has a fledgling group of people in his community of faith, and they have no money. And that building, he found out, would cost him $1 million dollars. Well, he didn't have it, but he had this dream. And so he said, I just began to pray. And so he'd go to that building, he said, and I would circle it. And I would pray over it. And I would begin to declare that it belongs to my vision. And so he would just start circling. And he would do the the old Joshua around Jericho. He'd go around seven times. And he said across the street was a government building, the federal judiciary building. It's a big, massive building. And he said people would look at him and think he's crazy what's this guy doing? And he'd walk around and he'd declare that it, that it was a God dream and it belonged to him. He went back to his, his community of faith and they prayed and he said, we prayed for eight years. And the more we prayed, the more the price went down. And finally, they bought it for $325,000. At the same time that they got it for the 325, four other people had already offered more money and yet they got it. Why? Because he had prayed for favor. And so he called the Jewish owners of the building. And he said, I know this is crazy, but we would like to turn that into a Christian coffee house. And they said, We like that. That's yours. Then they had to get it rezoned. And all the neighbors said, We don't want a coffee house there. So you know what they did? They prayed. For two more years, they prayed. Two years. Then they went to the zoning board. And with all the neighbors saying, we don't want it, we don't want it. He said, but I love those people because I prayed for that. I prayed for the neighborhood. I circled it because this would affect them. He said, we stood before the zoning board, and they approved it because they said, we like your idea. And where did they get the $3 million to renovate it? They prayed it in. They circled it. So now, Ebenezer's, that thing that was just a dream, has been voted the best coffee house in downtown DC. Even beat that other one called Starbucks. And all the proceeds go to mission outreaches. Inside that place, there's a coffee shop and offices for the church and, and a video venue for church services. And, and you know what? Mark still prays around there, but you know what Mark does now? He climbs up a ladder and pops open this hatch on the roof, and he stands on the roof and views the area of D.C., and he says, I walk around, and he said, and we still get calls from people saying, why is there a crazy man walking on your roof? <laughs> and he's praying. He's walking around. He's praying. And you know what he's doing? He's waiting. He's waiting on the vision to come to pass that he sees as he prays. I simply want to say to you this morning, don't give up. The thing that God put in you, don't give up because it's more than you because what you are becoming and the vision he's given you fits into a much broader picture, a much stronger picture, greater than you, and we need for you to succeed. Don't give up. Keep praying and keep planning, because you are not forgotten. Scripture says you should call for things that are not as though they are. I see it happening. I simply want to say to you, keep praying, keep building, because the answer is on its way. Would you stand? Earlier, as, as we prayed together, Danielle had you take a posture of receiving, and I want to pray over you now, and would you just even take that posture, you that are especially dealing with, with maybe getting stuck in the vision that you had, and you just felt like giving up, and I just want you to receive this morning the truth of God's word as I pray over you. I pray over you now that, that the discouragement and even the decrease of passion will cease. That as you spend time with Jesus this week, the vision will be renewed. I pray that you will see God as he is and believe his promises. I pray that you will worship him and hear his encouragement to you and that you will confess and understand he takes you as you are and then he builds inside of you the vision and the abilities. I pray that you will have faith to believe the promises. I pray that you will have insight as to what that vision should look like. I pray that this morning that that you will begin to see it more clearly as you pray. I pray that you will let go of the past vision and the past pieces. You'll connect to Jesus and you'll see the new things that he's wanting to do. I pray that your vision will then unify with other people's visions so that we can not impact this city. And I pray that you will absolutely be ready for every single opportunity and that you will walk in incredible favor. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.